Hello, our lovely listeners. Uh, Before we get to this week's episode, uh, this is our classic reminder that while this show will always be free, we also have a Patreon where you can get even more fandom. Uh, Visit patreon.com forward slash the fandom show where for a couple bucks a month, you can listen to episodes early, get random fandom mail from us, check out our nerds letter, or listen to our patron exclusive, The Fan Club, where we watch movies that one of us loves and the other has never seen. This month is Kaya's choice. We are watching The Great Mouse Detective, which I've never seen before. Uh, so once more, that's patreon.com forward slash the fandom show. But you are already doing the most supportive thing, which is just listening. So thank you so much. And now let's get to the episode. Hello, 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 and welcome to The Fandom Show, the podcast where we learn about fantastic fandoms by talking to our favorites about their favorites. I'm Kaya Green. And I'm Stephanie Mallet. And today we are talking about the comic book and movie that is the sex bob It is <laughs> Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Versus the, world, versus the world. Or whatever variant of it, because all of the different books have different names. Uh, Scott Pilgrim's uh, Pretty Little Life, all of those other versions. But yes, we're talking about Scott Pilgrim, yeah. and I'm so excited. Kaya, yeah. what do you know about Scott Pilgrim? I know that I love it so deeply in my soul. <laughs> um, uh, so I, uh, I don't remember exactly when I was exposed to this. I think I watched the movie first um, and then was like, what is this absolute magic? I already was a big Edgar Wright fan. Um, just the way he makes films is so visually satisfying. And I think he was perfect to make a comic book film. So I watched it first and then was like, so this is magic. I need to know everything about this. Went back, bought the books, read all the books like the book even more um i think the the comic book visuals like the the art is so 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 good um i think that the way that he combines everything is like all the different genres is so good i'm just going off now um so yeah i i think that it is uh one of my favorite properties probably and definitely my favorite comic book what do you know about it uh so i started i read the comics uh when they came out the graphic novels uh and uh watched the movie i i, I enjoyed it a lot it was uh one of the things i like the best about it is that it's set in Toronto. Oh, yes. Uh, and we'll talk more about this, but ultimately, as uh, a di- I love Toronto a lot. So getting to see it featured as itself uh, is pretty magic. Also, at the time that these came out, I was in my early 20s in an indie rock music band, Ugh. hanging out at Sneaky D's, oh my God. going to all of these locations the as a, a young artist in a very similar demographic. So it was a kind of fun getting to see uh, another approach of the life that I was living. Yeah, really captured something that was real to you? Yeah, very, yeah. very, uh, very real to me. But with this nerdy aesthetic, that was also pretty real to you, I guess. Yeah. yeah. It, it was pretty cool. I think at the time, I wasn't quite in a place to like capture, like to get deep into it because it was a weird parallel. Like you didn't have the distance? Yeah, it was. I wasn't far enough away. But now, obviously, um, you know, the anime is about to come out. Uh, there's kind of this renaissance of Scott Pilgrim. Uh, so I'm really excited to now have that that distance from my own period of my life uh, when I get to re-engage with this material oh, uh, in, a, in a different way. That's um, so, so exciting. But do you know who knows a lot about Scott Pilgrim? I believe it's our guest. It is our guest. Uh, Rob Moden is a TV writer and producer uh, and has such an affinity for this property that in high school, he was known as the Scott Pilgrim guy. Like this, this guy's legit. Uh, welcome, Rob. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. Uh, uh, I'm so intimidated now. Why? Because I, well, I, I've, I've found out, first of all, that there are like huge book fans here, which is slightly my weakness. Oh, I'm, no, I'm, that's no, that's okay. okay. I don't... 
I've read it, but it's it's a blind spot. Okay. Yeah, I've read it a couple of times, but like I'm rereading it again now, and there's so much I still forget. Like I don't have it memorized in the way no, that I no, would if I had all. read it when I was like 16. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I so I uh, guess you reread five volumes in the last 12 hours. Oh my god, uh, was it? Did you, you sleep? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got home from <laughs> I got home from a SoCap show. I want I read two volumes, went to sleep, read three volumes this morning, didn't make it to number six, and oh. so I'm a failure. That's uh, oh, uh, a that's fear. how we would have said it. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. We were going to lead with that, and actually, I think this episode is over now. Uh, thank, thank you so, you much, so much for Rob, listening. Until next time, I campaigned for a long love. time to get on this podcast. <laughs> and the five minutes I've had here, uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Uh, oh, thank you. Oh, so good. Um, beautiful. Okay, so let's pretend somebody listening to this has never heard of Scott Pilgrim in any form before, how would you describe it to them? So Scott Pilgrim is a series of stories in graphic novel form or movie about a uh, young guy in his early 20s who is a bit of a doof and has a group of friends. He's in a band. His entire life is like kind of filtered through all these video game references. Uh, These books were done in like the mid 2000s and the movie in like 2010. So all these video game references are like from the early 90s. Um, It's kind of like very much of its time. And like Steph was saying, it's set in Toronto and it very much kind of explores a period of your life where you are trying to define your own image and who you are and everything around you is changing a lot. And everything feels very high stakes, every new relationship. Uh, and it's, like, very relatable in that way. You don't want to be Scott Pilgrim, but, no. you, but you but recognize you a been. lot of but stuff. But you know you, Scott yeah. Pilgrim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you, you not, tell your friends, don't date that guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there are days when you've been Scott Pilgrim. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've yeah. all made these mistakes and to then, some extent. And then the movie itself. So you were talking about, like, Edgar Wright. You were such yep. a huge fan of. Yep. So Shaun of the Dead is probably the reason why I'm in, like, media at all. Really? Because it came out Mm. when I was 14, and my aunt and uncle have a pet store in Muswell Hill, which is like the area where they film Shaun of the Dead. (gasps) Really? Yeah. So uh, we saw the movie like fairly early because we were told like, oh, it's great, and also it's like in our neighborhood and stuff. And it was the first thing time like in my head anything unlocked in terms of like, oh, you can use like filmmaking and choices to emphasize and like play up like comedy and jokes and I think that's come to like define a lot of stuff I do where it's like oh it's about like rhythm and editing and like flourishes and just like punching things up oh you're so right to identify that so much like comedy in the 2000s is like you think of like the Apatow stuff or early where it's just like coverage yeah this is like oh choices were made yeah, Edgar Wright is a master of design. Like yes. he he designs his movies down to a, the greatest detail. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right, editing and timing is a huge part of what mm-hmm, he does. Mm-hmm. And that so, love? and so he yeah. So like he, that hot fuzz Scott Pilgrim, like a, a, a huge run where I was obsessed with Edgar Wright. So I oh. found the movie through that, and then went back to the books. And yeah, in college actually, to, to like um actually, it wasn't high school, it was college. Uh, uh, sorry, my bad. <laughs> but the movie came out after my freshman year, and then I think just because uh, it must have been like I was just talking on Facebook all the time. I came back, and I remember somebody from my first year floor approached me at a party like uh, Labor Day weekend, so however many years ago, like this weekend. Oh wow! Uh, but the anniversary. Like, hey. Uh, nice to see you. I feel like I have to apologize because I saw Scott Pilgrim and it wasn't for me. And I'm like, that's oh. fine. That's okay. You're <laughs> all right. Oh my God. But I had already, before I set foot back on campus, I was like, I was apparently the guy. So. Oh, it's that's so very funny. funny. Pe- I, I love that about fandom where people are like, if you're really interested, they're like, I'm so sorry. I didn't enjoy it. It's like, 
that's okay. That's okay. It's fine. I'm not I don't mad need at you, you to love mm-hmm. it. They, mm-hmm. It's like they, it's like they're saying that they hate your mom or something. Like it's very <laughs> funny. People have apologized to me for not liking Buffy, and I'm like, that is uh, super fine for you. Like Buffy. Yeah, Everyone that's... likes different things. So we talked a bit about your origin story. So you got into this through uh, Edgar Wright and and his uh, his works. Uh, what was the thing that just like grabbed you and made it from a like, oh, I love Edgar Wright's movies to like this is a thing that you love. I think if uh, uh, I, I have such an affinity for like hyperactive media, for like lack of a better word, Relatable? like yeah, I, I grew up on like uh, early Simpsons and Animaniacs. Those were like the two oh, big yes. shows as a kid, and I think that <gasps> yes. just primes you as a child of just like I need constant stimulation. More. I need everything faster yep. all the time. Yeah, and so now it's like I, I was thinking about so Shaun of the Dead's in like. I've letterboxed and it's like in my top four, but the rest of my top four is like Eternal Sunshine, Singing yep. in the Rain, yep. wow. Social Network. It's just like a lot of like rhythmic, yeah. uh, like punchiness, like uh, thinking through sequences. You're also a big Spider-Verse fan as well. The Spider-Verse movies Which, are huge. Everything Everywhere All at Once, obviously, is like a huge hyperactive cinema I think our movie. brains might work the same way. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> because these are some of my favorite movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, I, I think it just super appealed to me in that way. And then Scott Pilgrim is probably like the most most Edgar Wright, Edgar Wright movie, Absolutely. I would say. It's like how Wes Anderson becomes more Wes Anderson with each Wes Anderson. Yes. yes. And and I think Edgar Wright kind of peaked there because I'm not yeah. necessarily, he's, he was my favorite director for a long time. I agree. I think like his last couple have been like, what happened mm-hmm. there? Like I, I What have been his last few movies? So he did. Baby uh, Driver. Yeah, End of the World was. Oh, World's End, yeah. World's yeah, End, yeah. sorry, End. sorry. That's yes, it. I saw that. End one. of the World was a different film. Um, World's End mm-hmm. was Good, but not the best of the three um, of the like trilogy that he did with Hot Fuzz and that that was kind of like a trilogy. Yeah, they're talking about doing another one, really, maybe. Which I'm like, yeah, please go back to your roots a little bit. Baby Um, Driver had its moments. The musical sequence was really cool, unsurprisingly. But the last one he did last night in Soho was Mm, him, not not good. And then I I wanted to like that Sparks documentary about the band. Oh, I haven't seen that. Uh, It's a three hour documentary about a band who are good, and you recognize some of their music, but it was like 40 minutes in. I'm like, this is. So this is this is for the the most hardcore Sparks fandom. Oh jeez. Okay. Yeah. Noted. Um. So yeah, but this was a peak moment for him, I think. Yes, I think so. Uh. So we're gonna start back at the beginning of uh, Scott Pilgrim. Uh. Can you tell us a bit about how Brian Lee O'Malley got to this idea? Uh. What do you think? Uh. His influence were and how he synthesized them. So he's talked about he. Actually, didn't spend a lot of time in Toronto, but it, it just became kind of a, a very formative uh, couple of years oh, for him. But Get bless back. him for choosing the us over other places. Yeah. We I mean, needed it. <laughs> it makes me nostalgic for a Toronto that I never actually really grew up in, but uh-huh. like this uh, annex, college, Bathurst, Spadina, um, Bloor area. And then yeah. like later books are like in the beaches and, yep. and stuff. It's uh, this like Now Magazine era of Toronto, the Honest Ed's era yeah. of Toronto. It and was pretty phenomenal. It was pretty, it was, <laughs> yeah, pretty good. Well, you can brag about it, but I was. And I, I will. Oh, Basically, what we're just saying is that you really missed something. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm. I was an Ottawa kid, and then went to Queens for school, and so slowly, like moving down right. the highway. And I don't know. Do, am I in Toronto for ten years now because of Scott Pilgrim? Maybe. <gasps> Who knows? Maybe it's cool. But it it was just like. A capturing like a moment it felt like whether yeah. or not I had experienced it it was like very seemingly personal to him and he's talked a lot about like certain characters are directly named or based after people you know like the, like the sister 
Como is based on a guy, yeah. just a guy just called Como. Guy, a guy named Como, yeah. Stacy, the sister, is his sister, Stacy. Oh, my like, God. It, there's a lot of amalgams of people. I was yeah. reading some of the notes in the color edition, and he's just like, I'm sorry about the person who I based Julie, the Aubrey Plaza character in the movie, on. Um, you weren't that mean. Uh, <laughs> I, if you saw this, I, if you saw the movie, I hope you weren't offended. But, oh, yeah. Okay, but Julie rules, though. She's great. I love Julie. <laughs> She's great. Um, yeah, I think, I think it was just a, a really interesting personal thing to him. And then you see... See, as the books go on, it kind of develops its own like life and thing and stuff. It's it's a little less like oh, this is stuff directly around Brian Lee O'Malley's like the two block radius of where he lives. Yeah. Yeah. He talks a lot about like getting uh, photos of houses as like references for, yep. for the art. Yep. Um, and it just kind of grows into its own thing. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, and he had a lot of influence, from what I understand, too, from sort of. Um, manga as well like yes. that's the books are very designed in that style uh, partially because they had to be done in black and white um because money they mm -hmm. now have color editions but uh at the time he really didn't like the publishers weren't going to spend that much money on it so like yeah he really he really designed it after um sort of like those uh pulpy sort of ma manga books and yeah. it has that feel on top of the video game on top of the music so it's like genre layered on genre layered on genre which kind of makes this cool original thing it's it the series of books especially are like very almost like richard linklater ladder like hangout kind of oh things. totally and then they shift into manga action yes and stuff and it's like that kind of uh combination and then the movie uh edgar wright like described talking to the director of photography who had filmed both The Matrix and Freaks and Geeks. What? I didn't what? know that. And said Scott Pilgrim the movie is like the halfway point between The Matrix and Freaks and Geeks. Whoa. That's so good, and they totally got that. That's yeah. correct, yeah. Whoa. Yep, yep, yep. Nailed it. Mm -hmm. Oh, that, that gives me tingles. <laughs> I like that. Um, yeah, but the, the dialogue is so unique in the books, too, and that comes mm -hmm. across in the movies as well. Mm -hmm. um, okay, cool. Awesome. Um, can you... Talk to us a little bit now that we're on the subject about this film adaptation, like taking it from the comic books into the movies. I feel like there's a lot of distinct stuff that uh, Edgar Wright did. Yes. So Edgar Wright gets the movie before Shaun of the Dead even comes out. It was like a, a advanced preview and like the producer of Scott Pilgrim came up or the person who had the rights and it's just like, here is your next movie. Gave him volume one. What? Yep. And then the first three volumes had come out by the time the movie comes out and they're like scraps of ideas for like four, five, six. And so as you read the books, like volume one and a lot of volume two are like one-to-one -one adapted into the movie. Yeah. And then more and more it becomes like the books go off in its own direction, but you like get like little lines of dialogue in there. And then by the sixth book, they're taking stuff that was made for the movie and putting it in the books. Yeah. So by that point, it's like kind of like a symbiosis uh, between yeah. like the two. Yeah. Sort of a proto Game of Thrones situation, except yeah. way, way, way better. <laughs> Successful. <laughs> and it, it's, you look at the movie and it's like, oh, all the talented people at the time, most of whom are still working now, but were like unknowns-ish at the time. Like Brie Larson. Wild. Aubrey Plaza. Yep. Um, Kieran Culkin, who plays Wallace and now is in Succession. And one of the Chris biggest Evans? shows of all time. Chris Chris Captain freaking yeah. America. Pre-Captain America, too. Mm -hmm. This would have yeah. been like maybe around Fantastic Four. Yeah. Maybe. Oh. Yes, it was like Fantastic Four was, yeah, this was like his low period, though. Like, this yeah. is, I think, the next year he does Captain America 1. Yeah. Yeah. It's and, like, it, watching it, it's like, how did they get all these people? Brandon mm -hmm. Ruth, who was Superman? Like, yeah. he was, like, it's... And then they all seem to really enjoy doing it. They had, like, mm -hmm. fight training camp in Toronto for, like, months and, like, band camp and all this stuff. Cause they tried to do, like, as much stuff in camera as possible, which is Edgar yeah. Wright's style. Which we love. And 
Like, it, it, they all seem to love it. They came back for, like, a reunion pandemic table read. They're all coming back for the anime. Yeah. It's, it's They have wild. a group thread that yeah. they have mm. kept in touch with an, each other since An email since thread. Then. Yeah, email apparently thread. they all really, really love each Michael, other. Michael, Sarah, and Aubrey Plaza almost got married for a bit? Wait, I'm what? sorry. You have to explain that. Okay. What? I thought you might have seen this. This, is, this has been going around the last couple months. Aubrey Plaza and Michael, Sarah were like, we almost got married just so we could immediately divorce and call each other our ex-husband oh. and ex-wife. <laughs> I love them both so much. That's so dumb and sounds so them. Yep. Oh my mm-hmm. God. That's, a, that's some April Ludgate ass action. A hundred percent. Oh my God. Scott Pilgrim can be a little bit Andy Dwyer. He could be a little bit. No question. There's it's a little the, bit like that yeah. uh, puppy dog running around, like drawn to any like shiny thing. Like, and you, sh- we should hate you because you are just a man child, but yes. like for some reason we don't. Yes. It's just like charming. You have just enough charm to like skate by in a lot of stuff. That's yeah. Scott Pilgrim, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's Scott Pilgrim, but is that Michael Sarah? Uh, okay. Because there's obviously a lot of controversy about whether or not Michael Sarah is the right person for Scott Pilgrim. Mm-hmm. What do you? How do you feel about his casting? I was expecting this in the hot takes section because it's a, it was a huge kind of thing. I think. Everybody in the movie is kind of like adapted a little bit differently. Everyone's kind of like flanderized, simplified a little bit. Um, and reading through the books again, it's especially obvious. Like this is basically the character. I think a lot of people have interpretations of Scott from the books as yeah. like much more confident. And Brian Lee O'Malley has like talked about like he thinks that comes from the covers of the books with his like dynamic manga poses or oh, whatever. Yeah. I see that. It's like how Scott's – the intention was this is how Scott sees himself. And to a degree, like, all the book series is how Scott sees himself and even still, like, how much, like, his friends, like, don't like him kind of, like, seeps in and yeah. stuff. But originally the plan was, like, all the fight scenes were going to be, like, done in flashbacks. They were all, like, unreliable narrator Scott. Oh, interesting. Um, and I think if you read the books now and you're like, no, this is, like, kind of the characterization Michael Sarah is doing. And I think even more importantly, Michael Sarah nails what Edgar Wright is clearly going for. Totally. Um, everybody in that movie is, like, doing – such like little perfect like little performance ticks and uh, selling lines in such a perfect way and it's it's great I think the whole cast is great um, but yeah I think it was obviously everybody was just like why why this is dweeby Michael Sarah is playing like this cool guy that all the women are throwing themselves yeah, at this and bag so, of limbs I think to some degree it's like oh it's a it's a kid in his early 20s nobody knows what they're doing and yeah. everybody has like that vibe and moment to moment you could be like the coolest person in the world and you can be like I don't know what I'm doing with my life yeah, yeah. just deeply uncomfortable in yourself mm-hmm. also as much as I think Michael Sarah really plays extremely geeky people really well apparently in real life he is extremely smart yes. and extremely confident like mm-hmm. I, I forget who who I heard this interview from. He's who from. we think Jesse Eisenberg is. 100%. Oh. Yes. Apparently, like, uh, I, I completely forget what star uh, I heard this from on some podcast somewhere. This is such a good setup. Um, but Nailing it. Apparently mm-hmm. playing, like, any kind of board game with him is infuriating because, yep. like, you teach him it once and he's like, oh, I've never played this before. And then he crushes you. Like, he's just extremely smart. I can just imagine him at the end going, huh, I guess I... Yeah, look at that. Want to play again? I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Tomorrow, we'll come back. Um, so yeah, I think it was, it's kind of cool that he got to play up confidence. I think in this, I just, nobody, nobody really had, uh, that vision of him going into this. Mm -hmm. Michael Sarah, the action star. You can't really like picture it, but that's kind of the point, I feel like. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Scott is not a likely, uh, likely hero in that way. Like he's not, uh, the person you would look at and be like, that guy could kick some ass. Mm -hmm. Yes, totally. Mm -hmm. Intentionally so. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so we talked a bit about um, the last book, uh, well, the last few books being released after the film had already wrapped. Uh, how do you feel about the different endings uh, and which one resonates more with you? So this is, I think I think a mild hot take is, and I, I know we're not at that section yet, but I think I like the movie ending more. Okay. I, think um, I agree with you. You, you do or I don't? I think so, yeah, okay. yeah. Because I don't, I don't love in the book ending all the stuff that ties together, like Gideon using like the subspace stuff to like change people's memories. Yeah. And uh, in, in the movie, it's just kind of like, well, you need subspace there because otherwise fans will be upset. And it's just kind of like a cute little weird thing of this like black space that Ramona travels through that seemingly goes through Scott's head. Yeah. But in the books, it's a whole thing about how Gideon like, erased Scott's memories of, of how he was like a, a shitty boyfriend. And uh, it's, I don't know, it's it's like a little too convoluted. Um, so I prefer the movie ending where, especially like as, as there's less stuff for them to adapt, they just start like smooshing a lot of the X's and the fights back to back to back to back. Yeah, totally. And just kind of like power through it. And it just like builds and builds and builds. And then at the end, it's like a nice little anticlimactic thing of like, and now you have to fight yourself, but we're going to go get brunch together uh, and everything's fine. <laughs> I do love that part. Yeah. It's great. And then I feel like what I like about especially the movie uh, and its characterization of Ramona, even though I have like problems a little bit, that, that'll be that'll, a That'll show mm-hmm. up in the yep. hot takes for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, yeah, don't worry. We'll get it. <laughs> but even she, I, I like that the entire movie, she's just kind of like, yeah, sure. I'm like, if you're willing to do this, yeah, like, I'll date you, I guess. You seem sweet. Fine. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you, and it ends the movie. You don't expect them to stay together at all. Yeah. No. But it's like, oh, this is a little, in his 23-year-old mind, this is the greatest victory in the world. <laughs> totally. And I love that. Yeah. And he, they don't stay together in the books. Is that correct? Um, I kind of forget. In, the, in five, which I just finished uh, reading, uh, rereading. She disappears, and this all ties together. Like her, yeah. her head glows, and this is all connected to the Gideon stuff. Yeah, it's it's a it's a lot of lore mm-hmm. in that last book. And they simplify in the movie in another way that I don't like, which is like she has the mind control chip in the back yes, of her neck. That's right. Yep. And really, you just kind of want her to be like, no, I I wanted to go back to him. Like that, it, it plays simpler. into the themes of yeah. like you're hung up on exes and stuff. And yeah. Yeah. But so neither ending I love 100%, but I would prefer the movie ending by far. I, it's interesting because from what I read, Brian Lee O'Malley actually wrote the book ending because they were coming out simultaneously, sort mm-hmm, of. Mm-hmm. Um, they came out like the same summer, I think. Exactly. Um, and because of that, he intentionally wrote the uh, book ending to contradict the movie ending a bit. Like oh. He wanted them to be, and this is, this was a quote from him, that he wanted them to be a little bit at odds, mm-hmm. which I think is a super interesting choice. Because mm-hmm. like, especially it, when you're writing a book and now a movie is going to kind of rewrite your own lore and your designs for it. I like the idea of creating two sort of separate endings Yeah. Um, and letting either of those stand alone. I'm very curious about what the uh, anime is going to do. Yes, because even the movie had a, a different ending originally where he ends up back with knives because neither the people who made the movie or Ryan Lee O'Malley like 100% knew yeah. who, who he was going to end up with yeah. at the end. And you watch it now. And apparently this is how test audiences react. You're like, this is, this doesn't work at all. Like yeah. it, it, he was fighting. I think they incorporate it into the dialogue of the final version, but it's like, you've been fighting for Ramona the whole time. 
and then the line that Knives gets of like, I'm too cool for you anyway. And it's like, perfect. Great that, little wrap up to the whole yeah. thing. And that's what Knives should feel because she is 18 years old uh, yes. at the, the end of that. And yeah, 17 at the start, right? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. just, no, he, she shouldn't be with Scott. No. 100%. Please, girl, you can do better. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked a bit about the anime, so let's, let's get into it a bit. Uh, so it's, uh, they've made an anime version of it that's coming out in November. Mm -hmm. The entire, uh, original cast is coming back to do the voices, which is so cool. So cool. so cool. Uh, What do you want to see in this adaptation, uh, that the movie maybe couldn't, or that the book didn't like, how do you want this I'm, to play out. I'm on, of like two different minds about it. One is the trailer came out. It looks great. It looks so it looks good. So good. So cool. so the, like, good. The art, it looks amazing and it looks like it just like stepped out of the book. Mm-hmm. I, I'm looking forward to especially kind of what we were talking about, like books three, four, five, a, a lot of the stuff that didn't get adapted into the movie, but it's like mo- the most of the hangout stuff yeah. and the web of friends that expands and all of a sudden like, oh, this person's talking to this person and Scott's freaking out about that. Certain people disappear. Kim moves away and it like destroys like the band and the friend group. Oh, I'm so excited for more Kim. I love Kim so much. She's the heart the of books. the books and like 100%. in the movies, she's simplified to, yeah, she's the scowly yeah. uh, person but it's it, it works but, but she's like one of the people that holds Scott I'm accountable, accountable yes. for so much of the books and it's just like oh she's That's one of my so favorite important. characters mm-hmm. so I really hope she appears more I'm looking forward to that the animation looks great I was worried when it was first announced because they did do like a little short that adapted a, a little bit of one of the books back when the movie came out mm-hmm. and it was like very flash animation mm. and like direct like one to one panels and it was just like mm. and uh uh, this looks so much better. The only thing is I am so curious about what they're going to do in terms of like time period trappings, the video game references and stuff, considering this is the third, fourth, if you count the video games, like version of this story. Yeah. But now it's in 2023. Like the, the movie came out in 2010 and every all the references are like early 90s. That's like it, if you did early the story. Early 90s and early 2000s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you did the story now. Then the 21, 22, 23-year-old, like, reference points would be, like, Wii, mu- Wii Sports music or something instead oh. of, like, the Sonic and uh, the Sonic Ring and, and all the little sound effects that are in the movie. Are they putting it in I don't right know. Oh. This is what I'm interested – I would be interested in, like, what if we literally moved it down a generation and yeah. see what, what they – what their lives are like. Oh, I, I don't feel strongly against this as a person. Like, I think that Toronto in 2003 to 2000 yes. and whatever is such a critical part of this I story. I completely agree, yeah. And like, honestly, this doesn't exist. I, this is why, so my hot take, instead of the adaptation of, like, the books, I kind of would have preferred if they had done, like, a sequel story in any form Ooh, of just, right. like, what are they up to in their early 30s or something? Yeah. A battle royale for Toronto housing or something. Yeah. Like, Toronto has changed so much. Who's in the suburbs? Like, who is young Neil has probably settled down while everybody else is like still trying to do Bless stuff. Bless young Neil. Oh. I love young Neil. It'd be great. And Ramon and Scott are definitely not together, but they like are in each other's circles they or text. something. Yeah. yeah. I would be I would be more interested in that than the anime, but I'm looking forward to the anime. It looks cool. Ooh. Oh, I had like my entire body's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm changing the time. Oh. Also, yeah. the only thing that I find always tricky about that is that this is a thing that happened watching Veronica. Mars is that mm. when you uh, when you 
drop in on a character early in their life and the story is about their youth, yep. there's always going to be like a shade of disappointment when you get older and they are either A, a responsible together adult, which is not really what you fell in love with about in the first one, mm-hmm. or they're going to be now cont- still sad and I don't mess. know what you're talking about. There are definitely no Star Wars movies or anything recently <laughs> that brought this idea up. It's just sometimes like it's so hard to hit that thing where you're like, I'm happy for them, but also the they're still the person yes. I want them yeah. to be. And yes. they've evolved, but not too much because part of what I identify with is the struggle that they have of being, you know, 23, 24, yeah. but also like... Who is who would Scott Pilgrim be now? Right, like uh, the reason I bring up Veronica Mars is in the like uh, reboot season that they did. She was sort of back in Neptune and solving things, and she was pretty sad about it. And I felt bad for her because yeah. part of the problem was she was a like poor kid in this rich town, and she was the one who was going to be smart enough to get out. Yeah, and then she was too smart for her station. Yeah, and then the was. fact that she didn't, I was just like, oh, I'm starting from a really sad place. And on there's this. the movie and the novels and stuff, but that season does just start out with like, so I decided to come back, and there's no like real like character. Character justification for Precisely. it, really? Yeah. yeah, I love that season, but it's just like, why? Why are you doing this? Yeah, it just, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it, it puts it puts the whole thing in this frame of like, say the character you love, she kind of failed, and that's mm-hmm. okay, that's fine, mm-hmm. but like, it, yeah, it it changes it a little bit, 100%. the framework. But I do also like the idea of seeing an updated Toronto. Yeah, Steph, Steph is strongly. I'm strongly. It. I mean, because I think I want to see them navigating so many condo buildings. So, so many condo buildings. Oh, a fight scene through all of these condo buildings Honest would Dance be pretty funny. Sneaky D's, they keep threatening to shut down. Like, oh, this would be part of the Lee's whole Palace. thematic. Yeah, it's they like, changed it completely. This palace is different now. You've got, you know, Bombay Roti in the ground floor now. <laughs> yeah, but also, like, I think if you're going to write a, a similar thing about current Toronto, it shouldn't be us writing it. It should be the kids who are now going to their various spots, you yes, know? Yes, I mm-hmm. agree, That's because the they're, they have a different version of Toronto than we have. Yeah, and they're they're going to feel romantic about this era in a way that we don't. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. I know. Because now I'm older and I'm like, oh, this era sucks. When yeah. I was young, it was cool. Oh my God. Scott Pilgrim is such a millennial, yeah. millennial totally. story. Absolutely. And we're old now. We're old. Yeah. We're old and we're, ne- we're never going to be cool again, but we get a nice little anime as a treat. That's well, that's our treat. <laughs> just to keep us satisfied. Mm-hmm. Um, are we currently discussing Scott Pilgrim as a, as a period piece? Yes. <laughs> yeah. It 100%. is a period piece. It is a period piece. It is absolutely. I, I, I was reading through it and it's just like, oh, yeah, you guys open for Clash of Demon Head at in 2005 or something and it's yeah. like oh oh yeah. wow that's that's almost 20 years ago now yeah, like every element of it like the sound of Clash of Demon Head and we can now mm. get into the music I think of it all yep. is is metric it's metric it's, that's, yes. yeah. and like Toronto and metric are like it was on a, every radio station all the time like that band was one of the bands of Toronto yeah. I worked mm-hmm. at Factor uh, which is a granting body for musicians in Canada and metric was on like every application like of they course. were just really <laughs> becoming the iconic band that like, they yeah. are now. Yeah, like that, the broken social scene of it all. Yeah, like man. that was all. Also, in the, also providing music yep, for the movie. Absolutely. Like, I, I have no vocabulary for talking about music, so I'm always intimidated to do so. Yeah, yeah. But I would just Same. like <laughs> broadly say my taste in music is like mid to late 2000s, like crunchy music. I don't know. Just mm-hmm. like so much distortion. Like indie. and Like indie dance Pop, punk, whatever you would call that, like Death from Above, We Are Scientists, right? Um, sleigh Bells, uh, 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 oh, there's like a big one I'm leaving out, Arctic Monkeys was Arctic huge Monkeys, for, for yeah, me. yeah, yeah. So all, the soundtrack is great. I love the soundtrack. It's, uh, so yeah, Metric provided the song that Brie Larson sings. Black because Black Sheep. That song that slaps That song absolutely so fucking, fucking hard. slaps. Even in the books, it was based on Metric and, em- and yep. Emily Haynes yep. and- 
they asked Metric, like, would you provide a song? And they apparently just provided a song that they had not released because they thought it was <gasps> too metric <laughs> no, are you serious? Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought they wrote it for the movie. No, they were like, "This is a, this is a self parody of ourselves. We can't release this." And then they gave it to the movie. That's incredible. Oh my god, that's, I'm so happy right that's now. So <laughs> incredible. I'm also a fan of metrics, so the combination of these two things is delightful. Well, also the fact that recently, like within the last year, they they released the Brie Larson version with yeah. the Brie Larson it's vocals. Also very. Good. It's on the extended soundtrack. Yeah. Sorry, like, sorry, Emily Haynes, you're incredible, and you, mm-hmm. like, all the props in the world, but the Brie Larson version is, that's the one that you fall for in the in the movie. Mm, it's so good. Brie Larson just, like, hits you, like, uh, out of nowhere in that movie. She has, like, such a specific performance yep. that's so good. There's, like, two, on the Blu-rays and whatever, there's, like, two, like, screen costume tests of her and Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Ramona. Yeah. And they're both, like immediately the characters yeah. and you hear like Edgar Wright and others just like yelling like now you're mad at me now uh, now you're kind of into me and you just see them shift and it, I, I would just say go look this up it's so good um, but yeah the music so we have like Metric Beck provided all the Sex Bob Bomb songs yep. which are great Threshold is amazing love this like grungy kind of like yep. messy feel they got for it they got, that's what the indie music scene in Toronto at that time sounded yeah, like like, mm-hmm. like a little noisy like yeah. Stephen Stills has like uh, again I don't know a lot about music so I might somebody might get mad no. uh, he has an acoustic guitar and he like converted into something that plugs into an amp mm-hmm. and apparently like this was a thing in the Toronto scene and really? everybody hated it. Uh, but it was like just so embodying of like the band that he would do this. Uh, he would have that acoustic guitar that like just sounds awful plugged into an amp and he'd be blasting it. Steph, what do you, what is it? I, I can't remember, but I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, acoustics with pickups in them. That, yeah, yeah. Like it definitely was a sound that was used around that era. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. And then um, 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 Broken Social Scene does Crash and the Boys, like the So Sad song that takes three seconds. Oh my God, seconds. I am so sad, so very, very sad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's the entirety of the song right there. Yeah. Broken Social Scene got paid a hefty penny. Of course they did. Of course they did. The Broken Social Scene, a band that splits everything they get 14 ways exactly. because oh there's so many fucking people in that band. And then the score is so great. I love the score. Oh, it's so uh, Tron could never. Everybody talks about the Tron. No, this is, this is the video game inspired soundtrack. It's not just like and repeat that for like two hours. No, this is a cohesive full yeah. <laughs> score with video game elements put in. It's by Nigel Godric, who was a producer for Radiohead, and then a bunch of people contributed. Um, there's a bunch of cool facts like the the bass battle between Scott and uh, Todd Ingram, played by Brandon Routh, yeah. was just improvised by what? the songwriters. Really? So it's like that 45 second stretch and they just put it in the movie because that section like rules yeah 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 um, there's like when the uh, twins are up against Sex Bob Bomb and there's like the combination of like their EDME kind of like stuff and Threshold uh, while like the giant like electronic sound monsters fight yeah. each other in the movie that rules um, I think you were especially taken when I told you that uh, we almost played Hillcrest Park a song from the the score yeah. from Scott and Ramona's first date. Yeah. Almost played that at my wedding in oh, November. I love that so but much. It's, so it's such a dreamy song. It's really nice. But there's a harmonica that comes in that sounds like kind of like sad and depressed. Yeah. So we swapped that out for Greendale's Where I Belong from Community oh, by Ludwig Gornson. I really like he was a person, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> so the Hillcrest Park one's like, um, it's that one. Yeah. And then the Greendale one is, uh, boom, ba, boom, ba, boom, boom, ba, boom. Yeah. Ba, doo, 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 doo. Anyway, everyone came to this podcast to listen to me <laughs> try <laughs> listen to sing. Listen to scat. Instrument. <laughs> mm, scat man. Uh, have you played the video game at all? Uh, and how do you think that they adapt the elements of the book to game? 
the video game is fun. It's maybe just not my thing. It's very much in the style of like eight and sixteen bit yeah. beat 'em up side scroller yeah. games from like the early nineties, which I w- I'm maybe just slightly too young for. But it's a lot of like just uh, you get a lot of bruises on your thumbs. Yeah, uh, not bruises and, and blisters of like it's like a classic side <laughs> yeah, scroller, yeah. right? Like, yeah, it's yeah. a classic side scroller. They re released it recently. It was like the twentieth anniversary of the or tenth uh, anniversary of the movie last year. Mm. Or 2020? I don't know. <laughs> Remember is, how time disappeared for a few years? We're, 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 we're still, <laughs> we're still 23. We're still all uh, 23 kids. Everything's we're all young. fine. Yep. Some of us turned 30 in the pandemic and we'll never recover. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Some yeah, of yeah. us might have had a Japan trip for our 30th anniversary. Uh, sorry, our 30th birthday planned for March 2020. Oh, Lord. And had to cancel <laughs> it on February 27th. No. Um, oh, but the game, the game is fun. Uh, the other thing I'm I'm maybe iffy on the anime is uh, the game has a, a kind of beloved chiptune soundtrack by Anna Monaguchi. Um, Love a chiptune. I mostly oh, know chip from tune. like I don't know they wrote they wrote the theme for like the Nerdist podcast back oh. in the day. Um, people love that. I wasn't super into it, and they're scoring the anime coming up. So oh, okay, okay. Um, if you're into that, you're into that. But I am into that. It's a fun game. I'm, oh. I'm not, like, super into it. It does follow the books much more closely of, like, one-to-one, like, this battle from the books, this battle from the books, this battle from the books. Um, yeah, it's fun. Ah. I think uh, I think if you're into side-scrolling beat-em-ups, you'll really love it. It's, like, clearly made with love. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 100%. I am now really curious whether they're going to keep the movie f- the movie soundtrack, like, the, the songs mm. for the show. Well, they released that teaser trailer of, like, the cast – uh, that is meant to look like the opening credits yeah. of the movie yeah. with Sex Bob on playing, yeah. but it was a different song. So I suspect they don't have the rights necessarily yeah. to which the is, Universal ones. Which is okay because we already have those songs. So yes. I actually wouldn't yeah, mind yeah. hearing different versions of it. I'd like to hear like little clips dropped in, but yeah, if you have like new Sex Bob songs that sound a little different, I will take new Sex Bob songs. Yeah, 100%. No one's going to be sad about that. Mm-hmm. Also, I was just reading the uh, first book this morning because mm-hmm. uh, I'll always take an excuse, and mm-hmm. I love how they include the chords in the in the books yes um and that that sort of stays true to the songs that they make as well they are the same chords and a lot of the same lyrics there's that and then i think in volume two they do like that recipe that you can like follow along oh my god yes potato lasagna or something what yeah there's there's potato casserole you can like it's step by step here the ingredients it's steven stills just like turns to the the reader and it's just like uh here's all the steps if you're under 23 have somebody else help you out It is so like that. I think what's so magical to me about the transition from one thing to the next in terms of like the comics to the movie is just how meta the comics were on their own. Mm-hmm. Like they often, yeah, face the reader. They often talk to the reader. There's a lot more like go read the last book that yeah. I don't, I didn't remember until yeah. I, until this reread. Or yeah. a lot of like labeling of things like what, what Scott, uh, you know, mm-hmm. owns in the apartment and like all of that stuff was very baked into the books. And mm-hmm. I think it would have been so disappointing if we had had a director who didn't understand how to adapt all of that stuff. Like, I think Edgar Wright really got the comic book of the comic books. Yes, there's like that wide shot of you the first time you're in Scott and Wallace's apartment and there's like the labeling of like who, what belongs to who. Yeah. And in the book, it's just like one wide panel. Like, this is cute. And then the movie... It's like uh, they put it up the and like scrolling. they pop in the scrolling with like a like an old computery sound effect of yes. like just like scanning the entire place. Yeah, uh, it's just like again, just kind of like 
pluses it just just a tiny little bit. Yeah, and that's makes it a little bit better. It really is what an adaptation should do: is like yes. take the intent of the original and just add what couldn't be there to yeah. begin with. You because know? of the format, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. And I think it does that so so well in so many cases. Like even the the feeling that there are different frames because characters in the movie don't like walk from one place to the other. They kind of just appear there the yeah. same way they Match would in frames a comic book. or like the aspect ratios are changing. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. It's it's like very clever filmmaking. Well, and we also learned that. Uh, the characters don't blink on purpose. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were directed not to blink to make it feel more like a comic. Which Literally is, just learned this today from you. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's like little bits, like the sound alone is just like such an, uh, they put so much effort into it where, for instance, when they're in Sonic Boom, the original Sonic Boom yep. on Blur, Old school. Uh, now a Dollarama. Oh. Um, oh, uh, time. I miss you. It marches on, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> when Scott and Knives are in that store and Knives picks up, like, the Clash of Demon Head, the Brie Larson's band, like, asks Scott about it, and Brie Larson is Scott's ex, but he's not telling her that. Anytime Brie Larson is on screen, you hear the security alarm in the background going off <gasps> of just, what? like, bad news, bad news. So Whoa. you just hear beep, 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 beep. Like, oh, yeah. my God. It's all little bits like that. Um <sighs> I was on message boards when this movie came out and it was like kind of a hard sell for a lot of people. Yeah. It didn't do well in theaters. No. And one of the easiest way to convince people is like, did you see Hot Fuzz? And there's like the gifts of like um, those two actors who play like the, the comps with the mustaches, yes. Patty oh, Considine yeah. and uh, uh, Spall, Rafe Spall, the know. younger Spall. Yeah, I forget. Son, son of Timothy, I think. But they, they have mustaches and there's that uh, gif and that scene in, the, in Hot Fuzz where they're like, Staring, they don't like Simon Pegg. They're like staring at him, and they just kind of like move out of frame. Oh yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. And one of them like dips back in. Yeah. And somebody's just like Scott Pilgrim. The whole movie is this. The whole movie is like <laughs> yeah. little flourishes and yeah. jokes like that. If you like that, you'll like the movie. Yeah. Go yeah. check that out. He uses a frame like absolutely no other director. Mm-hmm. At least mm-hmm. he used to. Yeah. Um. Amazing. Okay. So, what is the nerdiest thing that you have done in relation to this fandom? Uh, I saw, so I saw the movie six times in theaters. Incredible. Uh, didn't go seven. I just couldn't make it. I was. Coward. I, was, I know. I was working at a grocery <laughs> store. I was not having a good summer. Anytime I was down, I'm just like, I'm just going to go watch the movie yeah. again. Um, and it was, in, it was fun to bring new people each time or hear like, oh, on the fourth screening, somebody finally laughed when they heard sex bob and got the joke. Oh my clearly. God. Yeah. Um, I I made a little list for this. I wanted Scott's shoes so bad, like those Adidas, like three stripe yep. superstars, uh-huh. but they're maroon um, stripes, which is apparently like a really hard color to find. Really? So the next month when I was visiting New York or something, I had to like take an afternoon and go like, I'm sorry, I have to go down to Chelsea and I have to go <laughs> to like a shoe warehouse Incredible. and get these shoes. Um, I love this so much. I, and did you get them? Yes. Yeah, oh. yeah. I wore them like all sophomore year uh, of college. <gasps> Um, what on the anniversary of the movie, I was, uh, I was an intern in Toronto that summer. I had nothing better to do. So I walked up to Casa Loma and I watched the Casa Loma scene on like my iPod touch oh, I love in that front of it. So much. And there was a giant crowd of people who all were there for the scum. No, uh, oh. <laughs> uh, it was just me sitting on like, yeah, one of the little like stone benches near Casa Loma, just like trying to replicate the angle with my iPod touch. Honestly, I, we live sort of close to Casa Loma and I end mm. up when going, going on walks. I end up walking up there cause it's more scenic than walking down DuPont. Um, and every time I walk up those stairs, every single time I think about that scale board scene oh. yeah every yeah, yeah. single time the rails are garbage and <laughs> uh I, I think that's i think that's mostly it. it's like a lot of little things i i brought 
toys and figures that I'm still buying. Um, there we I, have a little Ramona. Little Ramona Funko. Um, there's, I almost convinced my improv team a few years ago, just call ourselves SARS, uh, <laughs> which would have been bad. It would have been real bad with how the future goes. But I was obsessed with, in the books and in the movie, he just has a t-shirt in like college font that just says SARS. Oh my that's God. That's the entirety of the joke. There, and, that's and all of it. For those who may not know about SARS, SARS was a respiratory illness that really hit Toronto really hard in the mm. early 2000s. Yeah, it's Shut like down. basically like 10 years from now, somebody just wearing a COVID t-shirt. Yeah, and you're like, no. yeah, Yeah, I didn't live through that SARS period. I was told by some people this would be in bad taste if you named your improv team like that. Um, yeah, we're fine. I'm kind of, I'm kind yeah. of glad it didn't happen, but I got pretty close. I got pretty oh close to convincing God. everybody. Oh, my God. All right, we're just about to jump into our hot takes, but before we do, this episode is brought to you by tpublic.com, where you're definitely going to find your next favorite shirt. They have unique and nerdy designs. You can get them on shirts, tank tops, hoodies, mugs, stickers. They definitely have Scott Pilgrim's things on there. No question about it. And uh, Scott has some choice T-shirts that you Choice T-shirts. Replicate. My guess is they probably have T-shirts that are the shirts that Scott Pilgrim wears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would not be surprised. Um, yeah, you can f- find any design you want and you can get it on almost anything. And the best part of it is it's just so customizable because I don't know about you, but I am, uh, I, I have trouble finding t-shirts that are exactly right for me, but this, you can customize the size, the color, the fabric, you can make it exactly the t-shirt you want it to be. Um, and on top of that, all of these designs are made by indie artists. Scott Pilgrim's all about indie yeah, I was artists. Say, if you're listening to this and you think indie artists are great, if you like indie music, you should also support indie artists. 100%. You should support them getting a fair commission for yeah. their work, yeah, 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 which is what Public does. When you buy a t-shirt from Public, you are supporting an indie artist and you're supporting this podcast. So you should head over to tpublic.thefandomshow.com to check out all of our merch and favorite designs from Public. That is tpublic.thefandomshow.com. Thank you so Thank much, you. Public, for your support. All right, we are jumping into hot takes, and boy, this was a popular one for hot takes. I, I saw Kaya holding a piece of paper that, uh, oh, the hot takes are double-sided, and they go... The hot takes are, yes, we have a lot of them. So I'm going right. to start with friend of the podcast, Ian McIntyre, uh, who says, So much of the nuance and character arc of the Scott Pilgrim books was lost in the condensed film adaptation that it completely loses the point of the story. It's supposed to be about a young guy who's gradually growing over the course of a year, realizing how he's hurt the women in his life, and that they're also on journeys of their own. Uh, basically, everyone other than him is also the hero character in their own equally valid story. Interesting. The The idea, yeah, it's a, a huge difference between the books and the movie is the books do take place over the course of like a whole year. You go through all the seasons. Mm-hmm. And then the movie's probably like two weeks? Yeah, maybe? it feels that way. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's the a typical ferocious like two weeks in that man's oh life. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and I think to some degree, it's like, well, it's, I, I think the interesting thing there is it loses the point of the story mm. because I think it's clearly that's like a factual difference, an objective difference of like the timeline and then that will affect how much can the character grow, yep. how much can they learn. I think there's a lot of stuff in the books that is missing just because there isn't as much time. There's so many scenes in the books of like supporting characters without Scott talking to each other. Yeah, and totally. To, to like Ramona gets to know everybody else in the friend group. Yep. Like – her and Kim, like, maybe have, like, crushes on each other. There's, like, a whole thing there. Yeah, it's great. Um, I, I see, like, the difference of it. I'm I'm hesitant to join on with, like, loses the point of the story because I, again, kind of think, like, it ends with Scott hasn't necessarily changed a lot, and I think that's the point. Like, this is, in his mind, a huge victory, but it doesn't actually necessarily matter in the long run. He's probably not going to remember a lot of this stuff yeah. in 10 years. 
And I think that's kind hold of on, hold point. on. He's yeah, not yeah, going to yeah. remember fighting a bunch of evil exes. I don't remember a whole lot of stuff. From my <laughs> I was going to say, can't you absolutely picture him today? Somebody being like, "Wait, you don't remember the time that you fought all those evil, evil exes?" And he's like, "Oh, oh yeah." You know, oh, yeah, like, can't you picture weird. that? I can picture that time. really clearly. In the in the books, actually, something I do kind of miss from the books to the movie is there's a lot more playing up of like Scott is. Like probably the evil ex to a lot of people. Yes. Ramona is probably yep. in the wrong for a lot of the breakups. Absolutely. There's a lot of like kind of subtle or or just like conversations that kind of set that up that yeah. aren't in the movie. Like that, how people hurt each other and yes. stuff like that in these friend groups. Different perspectives from everybody, and that's that's what that's what growing up's all about, you guys. Yeah, Absolutely. Oh yeah. 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 Struggle to learn. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I agree to this to with this to the extent that the books certainly have more, and yes. I feel like. I would, it's hard to find an adaptation of a series of books that wouldn't struggle with that problem, you mm-hmm. know? Um, once, it, it, once it starts clipping through all yeah. those fights, it's like, well, this is its own thing and you kind of have to just treat it as its own thing. Yeah, 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 definitely. I, I think it's it's definitely a fair assessment. Um, but yeah, I, that's kind of why I'm so excited for the, mm-hmm. the anime version is to see more of those relationships drawn out. Yeah, I wonder if it's like, I, I'm trying to remember if they announced it was like, an episode per book or a season per book? Like, yeah. how deep are they going to go on that? It's a good question. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. All right. This one is, the female characters lack depth and only exist to serve and care for Scott. Okay. So this was my hot take. Um, the the women in the movies don't nearly have enough characterization. Yeah. Um, I said movies. One movie. Uh, <laughs> the singular movie. Fun fact. Um, I think you can go find the old Deadline article about how it failed opening weekend against The Expendables 1 which nobody would defend these days. Uh, who, who, who's, who's coming on the fandom show to talk about the Expendables? A, a I mean, if that's your fandom, yeah. we'll talk to you. No, I'm, I'm judging that person. No, 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 no. <laughs> Rob will stand in the corner the whole time staring at you. But Deadline, I think, said something like, oh, and this Nix's plans that like Edgar Wright had for a sequel, Scott Pilgrim versus the Universe or something that yeah. was going to be like a new story or yeah. whatever. Anyway, sidetracked. Um, the... Edgar Wright's not great at women. That's become more apparent mm. as the years have gone on. Particularly in the last one. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> even though it stars two women and it was co-written by a woman, it was just still not good. It's just, yes, I'm just, uh, no. um, <laughs> yeah. But, if you liked it, great. There's just things in it that could have been better, I think. And like I said, everybody kind of becomes like a, kind of a, a more two-dimensional version of themselves in a stylized way in the movie, but it does hurt the women in a lot of ways. So like Ramona's not just like an enigma she she like laughs at Scott over over certain things. She mm-hmm. bonds with other people yeah. and like shares interests with them. Kim, uh, like we said, like moves away and that and she's like the whole heart of everything. Yeah. Um. She was clearly like really hurt by Scott in high school and never really got over it. Uh, Knives has like a whole development arc and oh, becomes yeah. a completely do- different person, which Absolutely. is kind of the movie. But her dad like uh is a hu- is a character in the book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, there's a lot of stuff that is missing. So I a hundred percent agree. Yep. Amazing. Amazing. All right. Oh God, my paper's stuck. Um, okay. So how about this? Uh, leaving out the honest Ed's battle from the movie adaptation is a grave mistake. It's one of the best parts of the comics. False. It's three pages long and it's nothing. Oh my God. I, I have to disagree with you on this. This is not my take, but I do love the honest Honest Ed's battle. First of all, honest Ed's, uh, for people who are not from Toronto, Mm -hmm. who may not know Mm -hmm. honest Ed's, honest Ed's, uh, was made by a man named Ed Mervish. He was kind of a, like a weird, like almost patron saint of Toronto. Yeah. What Carnegie is for Pittsburgh. Um, wait, is that Pittsburgh? No, who am I thinking of? New York. 
Carnegie was New York. Yeah, Carnegie's New York. Sorry, what am I thinking? Uh, I but, wish. Well, I Carnegie is for New York. Yeah, uh, Ed <laughs> Mervish was for Toronto. For New York, you know, uh, and Honest Ed's was one of his many endeavors uh, that was designed basically as a space to help uh, poor immigrants uh, be able to kind of have a center where they can buy stuff and have a, a bit of a community. And he used to give away free turkeys every Thanksgiving. Like yeah, he was a, quite, a big figure. He was a big figure, and Honest Ed's in itself is, well, was just a nightmare of a, a maze of a place. A like labyrinth. it was so many colors and things and it's just, it's an incredible space. It was, it was impossible to not get lost oh, in there. Yeah. There um, were signs everywhere for every item. Even if you like were looking for something, you could not find it if yeah. you wanted to. Yeah. It, it was, yeah. It, an iconic Toronto institution that sadly is no longer. A wall of scary clocks, which are, which is in the books, <laughs> like the weird, like uh, yeah. deer face, like uh, uh, clocks. Oh, that, like classic. Out Todd Ingram. Yeah. Classic. So there's a there's a sequence in the book where the fight with the Brandon Routh character Todd Ingram is supposed to be them just getting in and out of Honest Ed's and surviving. Yeah. And yeah. and their minds are kind of like overwhelmed, but it's really quick. It is like three pages. And that's actually maybe like the weakest book for me. It's like there's like oh, three yeah. many fights with Todd Ingram there. Yes. This would replace in the movie the base battle, which doesn't Correct. really happen in the book. That's true. It that is true. It kind of happens, but it's not like a whole thing. The base and, battle is awesome. I yeah. will give you that. And they they just kind of like leave Honest Ed's and it's kind of anticlimactic. And then later on, they actually have like the final fight. I don't know. It's it's clearly iconic. Everybody would love for more Honest Ed's in the movie. I wish there was more than just that one shot of the sign when they're in the pizza pizza at, yeah. Uh, yeah. at Bloor & Bathurst. But it's like it's a, it, it wouldn't have made a great sequence necessarily. It might I, have been too niche. Oh. I think it can um, potentially. I'm hoping they try it in mm. the if not just because like uh, it's just such a fun part of history. But I think I, I do see the argument that it's the people who have a connection to Honest Ed's that give a shit about it. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. I think I also just love how funny it is to me that the existential dread of being in a weird department store mm -hmm. could hurt you is mm -hmm. on its own a comedic beat that I really like. Also probably more relevant today than ever before. Yeah. how many department stores do we have left anymore? Yeah, yeah I, think, I think that's the part I really like about it is this weird place that like – that has a Cthulhu-like grip on your mind. Yes, <laughs> and it did. And it did. It did. It did. Yeah. I, when I was an intern, got all my groceries there. Probably yeah. not a good idea, but I got $1 <laughs> loaves of bread. But that's what Ooh. it was designed for. Yeah, it was it designed was, to be accessible. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, all right, this one is, the whole dating a 17-year-old really makes it a weird watch. Yes. Uh, I think they call it out constantly. It's clearly like... You're either in or you're out on that a yeah. little bit. It's baked into the premise from the beginning. Yeah. It's like the introduction to Scott is like Scott Pilgrim is dating a high schooler. That's, That's literally the first line. First line of the yeah. movie. So if you're not into it, they both the book and the movie go really out of the way to tell you that they are not hooking up in any way whatsoever. Haven't even held hands. Haven't even held hands. Yeah. Uh, we almost did on the bus, but we got shy or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think you're either in, in or you're out on that. Mm -hmm. I But also, like, could you take it out and completely change it? If the anime did that, I'd think there's probably other things that they could do but yeah i think it's i don't know would that would they have done that today i don't know but i mean we'll I, see if they do do it today mm -hmm. in november but yeah it's kind of just baked into the premise and you're either in you're either out fair all right this one is from friend of the podcast jan caruana mm. scott pilgrim did more for toronto than any mayor in history good call absolutely <laughs> it got me here uh, I, I'm, I 
went and like started checking off like I'll go visit all the Toronto places even like the second cut where they filmed the Anna Kendrick and uh, Aubrey Plaza yeah, scenes that's sadly no longer there sadly no longer there as is like half the locations here but like the uh, pizza pizza at Bathurst and Bloor though still there the sneaky D's that's in the comics is still, is still Palace there. is still, still there all, places. all the yeah. Tex-Mex um, yeah <laughs> it's it it really sold like this is the vibe of Toronto yeah. which is so hard to not only get across, but especially these days, like what is the vibe of Toronto? I, 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 I moved into the city and now like 10 years later, I'm like, what, what is Toronto these days? <laughs> what, what happened to my Toronto? I that- mean, I've been living here my whole life and yeah. I still feel that way. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, valid, valid. 100%. Uh, on the topic of it being uh, in Canada, this is from Twitter. Uh, Orion Kidder said, it, the movie would have made more money if it had been set in the States. I don't want that, but Americans do not watch movies set in Canada. I don't think anybody knew or cared when the movie came out that it was set in Canada necessarily. I don't know if anybody like sat down and that first like scene comes up with Bill Hader going like in the distant land of Toronto. <laughs> and so I was like, I'm out. I'm fucking leaving. Fuck this I don't want to see that fucking tower. Get yeah. it off my screen. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think it mattered. Um, it wasn't exactly part of the marketing. Yeah. I mean, plenty of other Edgar Wright movies have like come out that were set in America and weren't necessarily like, even Baby Driver, which I think is his most successful movie ever, isn't like yeah. lighting the world on fire at the box office. Yeah. <laughs> it's a He's a niche-ish guy. You have to be like up for it. But I do find like people who stumble onto it. I, I was on a random like film shoot uh, a few years ago and like a food network host, just like in between uh, things, like conversation was just kind of going on. It's like, you know what I saw on Netflix last night? Scott Pilgrim. Have you heard of this? It was delightful. Aww. I loved it. And I was too tired to go into like my podcast mode like I am right, right now. <laughs> like, oh, it works on people. It just yeah. like you, you pick it up and it works. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if the marketing would have changed much at all. Fair. Yeah, it is this frustrating thing where people do believe that though. Like yeah. the, uh, I, I will never get over the Station Eleven of it all. Yes. Um, so for those of you who don't know, Station Eleven is a Canadian book written by a Canadian author um, who does live in, in the states sometimes, but is Canadian and takes place in Toronto. Um, they then made a TV show out of it, which they shot in Toronto, but they changed the location of the story to Chicago for literally so absolutely offensive. no freaking reason, <laughs> yeah. except that they thought that people wouldn't want to watch something that happens in Toronto and I just the insult of being like your your country doesn't matter so much that even a background location for flashbacks need to change needs to change in order for people to give a shit oh it makes me so angry and it's just like how how do we not care about people who live in places other than America wait I don't know if I, I don't know if you've experienced this specifically but yeah I've worked in like tv shows that are not only set in Toronto and then like even season by season it'll change like we can't have any establishing shots yes. at the TTC. We can't have anything with the CN Tower. This year it's fine. This year it's totally fine. And it oh, just yeah, goes, this year, this, it changes all the time. And yeah, like we can't show Canadian money. We can show Canadian money. Yeah. It seems like there's, and, and all those calls come from like the Canadian companies themselves. Yeah. Like, oh, th- this is a different fandom show episode or a hate them, as I pitched yeah. you, a Patreon show called The Hate Them Show. <laughs> where we just, talk, I will just, talk, I'll talk about the Canadian media industry or whatever. Oh and, and just God. how self sabotaging it is. It but, is yeah. like, how long it's a of an episode could that be? That would be in mm. days. Yeah, exactly. But like, I think that's why this, this is such a resonant movie for people mm-hmm. who live in Toronto is because it is unabashedly from Toronto and it's better as a result of that. I do think going back to the marketing like if you look at like oh the poster is the pose of like Michael Sarah you can't see his face it's him against like a red background he's bent over playing guitar oh, yeah. yeah and it's like I admire that they made that the main poster of the movie I don't know who's gonna go watch that movie if they don't know what it is yeah, yeah. I think that matters more than like 
hey, it's set in Toronto. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Couldn't couldn't agree more. But it does have such a specific sense of time and place, which I think is always important. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one's from friend of the podcast, Elon Muscat. Uh, it's time that everyone who loves Scott Pilgrim truly watch it in 2023, not just as a time capsule of Ots Toronto, but because the movie isn't at all diminished by how clearly bad, toxic, uh, by how clearly a bad and toxic friend and boyfriend Scott is. Whoa, that's a super cool point. Yeah. There was, so I also stalked the Discord uh, where you asked for like hot takes. <laughs> and I saw, I saw the one that was just like, the movie doesn't make enough of a point of like how bad Scott is. Yeah. And rereading the books is like, oh, this is interesting because it does like have more time to play yeah. with this idea that he's an ex, uh, an evil ex to a lot of other people. Yeah. He, like there are more moments where he's just kind of like an oblivious jerk uh, to other people. But it's still like. Do you watch the movie and you're like, I want to be Scott Pilgrim? I don't think so. No. I think you come out of it going like, I dislike him like all the other friends. I get why they hang out with him because he is like, he does have, like some charm. And also you're like, I uh, I don't know. We he He's part of the group, whatever. He has potential. Yes. I don't know, man. People watch a lot of movies where the clear message is this guy sucks. And they're like, I need to be this guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the entirety of Breaking Bad. Well, the, the like around the same time, like 500 Days of Summer came out. Yeah. Mm. Oh. So as a 19-year-old boy, uh-huh. I did watch that and go like, this is so relatable. Oh, my gosh. Oh and my then you God. look back on it now, it's like, oh, he's the worst. And I think the director and Joseph Gordon-Levitt have come out and said, yep. like, he is the worst. But there are so many sequences in there of, like, actually super relatable stuff. There, the expectations versus reality, like, oh sequence my God. is just something that I feel like everybody yep. knows and has experienced. And not enough people are necessarily calling him out throughout the movie, yeah. but every friend of Scott's is calling him out throughout the movie. Um, so I'm like, I, I empathize with the idea of like, there should be more, like, it, it, usually I'm, I'm empathetic to, we should make clear that this guy is bad. Yeah. Because at 19, I uh, just saw Joseph Gordon-Levitt in that movie as like, no, this is, he's like fighting for his love or yeah. whatever. I saw that movie four times in theaters. Yeah. So exactly same. Uh, now that's also a great soundtrack for the record. It mm. is a good soundtrack. Yeah. But even, so around the same time, Scott Pilgrim, the movie comes out. I did not come out of that movie going, Scott Pilgrim's cool. I love him. Oh, yeah. he's, he's a great guy. <laughs> he was just fighting for his love. He's a good guy. He's fighting for love. He's doing everything he can. Like he, yeah, sometimes he makes mistakes, but you know what? It's for the girl or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I think generally it's, pretty clear how toxic he is. That yeah. is such an accurate and uh, millennial comparison. Yeah. <laughs> Those yeah. two films. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. I'm glad I grew past it. <laughs> Here's another one. It's not clear what Ramona saw in him, except that he seemed harmless enough that he could help her get over her controlling ex. When he gained the power of self-respect, he stopped being so insipid, but he still has such a long way to go by movie's end. Yes, 100%. Great. 100% and maybe kind of the point, but yeah, I, I do like that in the movie, Ramona is like simplified a little bit to, um, yeah, she's kind of an enigma, but she's also just like, I mean, why not? I'll give it, I'll give it a go. I don't know like, how long I'm I staying in Toronto. I don't have a Toronto. great track record. Yeah. So what's one more? Let's it- try Let's try this guy who seems sweet and he's trying really hard. So maybe that's worth a shot. And when you're 20, whatever, yeah. like, that's fine. Also, girl, this is how you end up with seven evil exes. Yes, that's true. Fucking stop. Yeah. I, I think one, one of the things, kind of to um, the last point that makes this such a like, real feeling property is nobody's kind of uh, 
perfect and on a pedestal in this. Mm -hmm. Everybody has their own problems. Everybody's growing. Everybody's a kid. And like everybody is a little toxic in this. And that's just being in your 20s. There's so many scenes of just like one character walks in on another character who's just like furious for no clear reason. It's like, what's going on with you? It's like, I don't want to talk about it. And that's pretty much the end of the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. That feels feels kind of right for that age. Accurate. Yeah. It's something you don't see a lot in youth media now because they're trying so hard to avoid toxic characters. But toxic characters are real and interesting. It's just how you treat them and whether you glorify them. Depiction is not endorsement. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And like, I mean, this is something that uh, the recent movie Bottoms that came out, I haven't seen it yet, but one of the things the director was talking about is really wanting to see queer characters who were uh, not perfect, who who were shitty. And I'm I'm like, oh, Thank fucking God. Because then that's a real character. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't have to be this pedestal character of just like uh, the perfect gay. And yeah. this also, the movie also came out around the time, like the manic pixie dream girl yeah. like, idea that like AV Club kind of came up with. Totally. And then uh, there was a debate about whether or not Ramona is that because she, Scott kind of sees her as that. Yeah. He he sees her as like the girl who's like going to open up his life yeah. and, and she's so exciting and cool. She literally goes through his dreams. Yeah. And, and she's just kind of like, I'm just trying to live my life, man. I don't know. Like, yeah. we'll see how this works out. She kind of shrugs it off yeah. in a big way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it, I think even that, like, just the idea that, like, the depiction is the man sees her this way yep. and is trying, kind of treating her that way. And she's not really into that or at least not even necessarily aware of how much he's doing it. Yeah. That, like, gets itself across to the viewer in a way, yeah. I, at least, mm-hmm. where, where I think it's like, oh, this is a, a, a good depiction of it. And the solution for it is self-respect. Yes. The idea that nobody else is going to fix you but you. Yes. Um, and a sword will come out of your chest. And one a sword day, will come out of your chest. I'm waiting for it. I keep dreaming it. for it. Ugh, mm. Any day now I'm going to level up. Rob, <laughs> mm. this is your moment. What are your hot takes that you need to get out into the world about Scott Pilgrim? So, yeah, there's uh, the women aren't necessarily well depicted. <laughs> the sequels here, I maybe prefer sequels, the anime we're telling. Um, I think, I think I, sometimes the books, like the, the shift between like the hangout vibe and the like action stuff is like a page flip in a way that I, I feel like the book is really good at like the panel layout and stuff. It kind of controls the flow at it which does. you're reading yep. and you get like the comedic timing of a lot of the comedy the switch from like comedy to action i think can be like really jarring in a way that i don't think was necessarily like the intention yeah i think the movie's a little bit better of like when the uh bollywood star ex-boyfriend oh my god comes in yes and starts a musical sequence it it does a good job of like everything slows down and then Scott like builds up to like now he now we're fighting and then a musical sequence starts and Anna Kendrick's like what is going on? And <laughs> it just makes more of an, an effort of like we're shifting stuff here yeah. that I prefer in the movie than the book. And then I know I just want to say Brian Lee O'Malley has talked about like the books are very white. They're really, oh, yeah, really big white. Time. And the and the movie yeah. by uh extension. Um and it was a lot of he is a half Korean uh cartoonist, half Korean, half French Canadian, and he's talked about this is kind of just manifesting like, you know, a lot of like self-hatred and yep. uh, and racism that was in him. And if he did it today, he would diversify the cast. Totally. Like there was no real reason why the main character couldn't be an Asian guy. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's worth noting. I can't speak on it a lot, but I, I think it's like, yeah, 100% correct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And also just was not necessarily uh, true of Toronto at any point mm-hmm. in Toronto's history. Mm-hmm. Toronto is a deeply multicultural city. Yep. Yeah. Um, incredible. 
Uh, at the end of every episode, we like to share our micro-fandoms of the week, which we're going to do in one hot little moment. But before we do, there's some other ways you can connect with us. Uh, you can find us on social media at Fandom Show Pod or at our website, FandomShow.com. Please tell all your nerdiest friends about us or all Please. your not nerdy friends or all your friends who have things that they like. That should kind of cast a really wide net, yeah. right? Um, and more importantly, if you can get on your podcast provider of choice, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, any of them, and do a little rate, review, and subscribe, that is so helpful. We are working very hard to, to cover every single subculture, every single fandom that we can do, um, but it helps to uh, get the word out uh, so we can be podcast uh, champions. And uh, I don't know, I made that <laughs> up just now. You missed a little fist pump uh, in the air. The fist pump said, really I think, illustrated it. Um, the, the championship. I'm in a real Scott Pilgrim headspace now. <laughs> uh, truly though even a one sentence review, one word review anything helps us move up in the charts uh, and that means we can have more fan fans and cover more stuff which is awesome. Um, we also have merch. Oh boy do we ever have merch. So please head on over to tpublic.thefandomshow.com You can snag our little faces on your favorite things like shirts, mugs. We are presently drinking out of a mug with our little faces on it right now. That's right. It's very fun. Uh, so head on over to tpublic.thefandomshow.com. Uh, and also you can find us on the From Superheroes Discord. Rob's on there. Mm. He's been peeking in there. Mm -hmm. uh, you can meet other fans or you can hit us up directly on there. Also, our theme song is by Yusu Kim and our logo is by John Blair. And now our micro fandoms for the week, starting with our guest, Rob. What are you fanning out about this week? So this summer especially, I've gotten into model kits. Ooh, oh my god, what yes. kind of model kit? You okay. nerd, I love this. So, uh, well, you're about to be disappointed because I'm going to bring up Digimon. Digimon, <laughs> I've been on a Digimon nostalgia kick for, since like late last year. Yep. And some of the only like toys that you can get, because I, I am a toy person, like just put it on the shelves and like fill with that at my desk or whatever. But the only way you can get like a Metal Garurumon or a Wargreymon is to get like a model kit. So I got into it through that. And then actually a little bit ago, I got uh, relevant to Scott Pilgrim. A Sneaky D's storefront. <gasps> oh my god! And what? An Honest Ed storefront. Oh my god! So the Sneaky D's one is the next one I'm gonna do. Uh, it's from called like Little Local Guides or something. Oh my Please god! Share photos with us when you've done yeah, it. Yeah. Oh my god! But I've lost the Honest Ed storefront. Oh, uh, oh and my I'm god! So upset. With Just myself. like Toronto, like lost in your Honest house? Ed storefront somewhere. Yeah, yeah. That is a crazy metaphor. Mm -hmm. oh. <laughs> Never to be found. Oh, I did find a, a model kit of a condo building. Interesting. Wow. <laughs> Oh, um, fuck. It just replaced itself. It's yeah. weird. I opened the box and that's what came out. I, I came home one day and my bookshelf is covered with condo models. So kits. many so cranes. And, and four construction cranes. <laughs> I'm, also, I'm also very into, so uh, Brian was on the show a yeah. few weeks ago. Brian Edwards about, in our uh, Taskmaster episode. Talking about Taskmaster and we worked together on a show called Chore Lord, which is completely unrelated. But that has been like a rabbit hole I've gone down of, I'm really trying to like, figure out in an Edgar Wright-y way, like, oh, how can we, like, film improv and stuff in Toronto? There's such a scene here. And how can we, like, distribute that wider? Uh, we've talked a lot about, like, Dropout. We're huge yep. fans of Dropout. We love Dropout TV. We love them. And, like, why can't we do more of that? So I, yeah, I've been, like, super into Dropout, just, like, re-watching stuff and, like, counting cameras and, like, triangulating camera angles and stuff. I'm just trying to figure out, like, how do they do it? Can we do Rob, filmed improv talk. in some way? Let's oh, yeah, 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 yeah. how to yeah, make yeah. some let's stuff. Talk. Let's talk. Mm -hmm. let's, let's talk. talk. Let's like, talk. I have charts of, like, the Middle Ditch and Schwartz uh, Netflix specials, yep. which I think are, like, the only time long-form improv has ever been filmed in an enjoyable I, way. Yeah. Uh, it absolutely works. They have nine cameras. And, like, the mm. whole thing is – so they have, like, good ah. shots to cut to that, like, emphasize the right thing. So, like, this is this is my research project right Honestly, now. after that special came out was the only time anybody I know has ever asked me a question on purpose about doing improv. <laughs> Interesting. I, there were people who turned to me and were like, 
hey, is that a thing in improv? And I was like, oh my God, you want is to know? Is this what you do? This is the type of stuff you do? And you're like, yes, I've been trying yes, to get oh you to come God. to the show mm-hmm. for like just, five I years. I beg you for, to, oh like, I, I understand not all improv is good. Like 10% of it kicks ass, yep. but that 10% kicks ass so hard. Like <laughs> if you, so if you want to know what improv is, Ben Schwartz, to play John Ralphio on Parks and Rec, and a uh, problematic person, Thomas Middleditch. Yep. Uh, <laughs> star star of Silicon Valley. What a description. Before, before we all found it, quite that problematic it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But they did uh, three Netflix specials. Uh, they're like up there as a series called Middleditch and Schwartz, and it's just them doing an hour long scene based on like what the, uh, they interview the audience a little bit, but it's like great, great improv yeah. uh, that is watchable, uh, which I don't know, we've all done improv and like had a, a set films and it's like the worst thing in the it's world to so watch. so hard back. to watch. It's, Even if the show was hot as fire. You gotta yeah, yeah, be yeah. there. You gotta be there. A that's lot improv. of the time. Yeah. So that's mine. Those are all my my mini mini family. Amazing, uh-huh. love it. Stuff. Oh boy! So we were talking about this with our pod dad, uh, Andrew, because uh, he suggested a show called Siren Survive the Island. And what the show is, it's a Korean reality show where they take six different professions, uh, all with a very physical uh, aspect to the job. And they essentially put them on an island uh, and engage them in different competitions, and then a giant game of basically capture the flag. Uh, but like so really hard, really hard to nice. So they have, and it's all, all right. women. It's all female identifying people. Cool. And they have firefighters, military, police, stunt performers, bodyguards, and professional athletes all competing to see who can survive the island. And it is mesmerizing. It, okay. it these people are so badass and so intense and just watching them try to like strategize how they're going to make it happen. They each have their own bases. Uh, I don't want to go too much into it. Uh, I'm just going to say go team firefighters. Uh, but also it's on Netflix. If you're in Canada, it might be in the U S or somewhere else. Uh, if you can find the show, it is just nonstop entertainment. We watched it. We devoured it in like only a few days. Uh, I highly recommend it. If you want to watch some badass women be so good. Is it like one season or a few It's one season. Right? Okay. Just one okay. season. It is a, yeah. oh, it's so fun. It's fun because I think you really get into the like thing and uh, I've talked about this before, the, the Olympic effect or the drag race effect where while you're watching it, you suddenly have a fuck ton of opinions about like strategy. How you, yeah, how you would defend like, your Here's base. what I'd do. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I can't believe you do that. You got to put the flag up here. Obviously. Like suddenly all of these things become so clear to you that like, uh, I mean, this is not how you secure a perimeter. If you put like, us on that island, we would be balled up and crying within an hour. Be like, be like, where's my TV? Here's what we should do. We should defend at all times and never leave. And then someone comes towards you and you're like, I'm so sorry. Take my base. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry. We're so soft. <laughs> Kyle, what are you? What are you fanning? Okay. Um, I want to shout out a podcast that has been recommended to me several times called Wiser Than Me. Um, it is Julia Louis-Dreyfus's uh, podcast. Oh, yeah. It's been out for a little bit. It's only got one season. But the premise of it is she has conversations with women over 70 years old about their lives, their careers, what they know now that they didn't know once. And it is like truly a beautiful podcast. It's so lovely to hear these women talk about their lives, about their perspectives on their lives, what they would do differently, what they wouldn't do differently, which as it turns out is a lot, um, which is awesome. But uh, it's got some like really big names. I haven't listened all the way through it yet. Um, I am currently saving the Carol Burnett episode for a day where I can sit down and give it my full attention. Um, But there's some wonderful people on there. Jane Fonda's on there. Like it's, it's so, it's such a lovely podcast and it's so wonderful to hear from women uh, in their older age, because I feel like we really, as a culture have such a respect for older men 
Yeah, but once as a woman you hit 40, you're dead. Yes, once you are unfuckable. (laughs) No one cares about you. You disappear off the face of the planet. And I think that is starting to change uh, very, Mm -hmm. very slowly as people we respect age up and so on and so forth. Um, And feminism becomes sort of a little bit more standard, a little bit. Um, But it is a really lovely podcast to hear from these women who know so much about life. Incredible. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Rob, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having uh, me. Where can people find you? Is there anything you want to plug? Um, I am on social media as either like Rob.Modin or sometimes Rob Exists, all one word. Um, I'm producing a, a podcast called Truth Tannic with uh, Carly Thorne and oh Blair McMillan. Where Incredible. the premise is they're going to figure out what actually happened to the Titanic. Oh, my God. It's what? mostly an excuse for them to just talk about their fan, excessive <laughs> fandom of the Titanic with other other comedians. But uh, so we were like, oh, this is a fun premise. And then I pulled up like Tubi or something and I saw like, oh, there are two different documentaries about did the Titanic really sink or was it a different ship? And they just said it sunk for insurance purposes. Oh, oh my, my God. God. Are we just running out of conspiracy theories? Maybe. Though? Because like, I don't think anybody has ever been like, mm, was the iceberg really an iceberg? Like this feels <laughs> new to me. <laughs> like, did were we not all satisfied with that explanation? <laughs> there are apparently experts in this who oh, will come sure. onto, onto the documentary and just be like, we don't know. It was a long time ago. Oh. We can't be sure. And it's like, well, you're, you're an expert. I guess you got to know. The boat Gentle. is at the bottom of the ocean. But which boat? What it did has they change things that the say Titanic on what it. If they, what if they painted that on after it sunk? Oh you don't my know. God. You don't oh know. Oh my God. You yes. don't know. Because if we've learned one thing from recent events, it's that going down to the Titanic and doing things is an easy task oh that won't result God. in several deaths. Soon. This is <laughs> I, okay, well, now I, I have shock. to listen to your podcast. It's going to be great. So we're, uh, I'm, we're producing it. Uh, yeah. Uh, so that'll <laughs> I come out. Wait. I think that's going to start coming out by the time that this comes I'm out. so excited Absur- to listen to this. This is like going back and being like, I don't know, did they really use guillotines in the French Revolution? <laughs> did Jesus ever really die? <laughs> oh, <laughs> my God. Who knows? I love but this. But he was awake uh, like three days later. <laughs> Sounds like he just went to sleep, guys. Sounds <laughs> like he maybe had a little cold and he needed to nap it off. We're bringing oh. back all the Christian refer- references from off the top. But yeah, oh if you, I don't know. If you have a TV show, let me write on it. If you have the rights to Taskmaster English Canada, give them to me. Yeah, I want give to them to him. Um, give them to him. If you're, if, if you're cool, hit me up and I'll send you a, a link to the video for the Chore Lord shows. But I'm if very you're proud not cool. If you're not cool, uh, like you can hit me up, but we'll see where it we'll goes. We'll see. We'll have a conversation. Yeah, Perfect. Yeah. Oh, Rob, thank you so much for being here. And everyone listening, till next time, love the things you love and tell everyone about them. Bye. Bye. The Fandom Show is produced by Andrew Ivamy as part of the From Superheroes Network. For more great podcasts like this, as well as webcomics, articles, and so much more, visit FromSuperheroes.com.